Good morning. How y'all doing? Welcome to Good News Church. It's a great day to be together and to sing of our King, Jesus, who is King forevermore. Dylan, thank you so much. And uh, worship team, thank you. Today's a great day. We have a lot to be thankful for. Three people came to faith in Christ over the past few weeks because of your witness. Now, um, when you uh, came in, if you look in the seat backs in front of you, you'll notice a connecting card. And on the connecting card, there's an opportunity for you to let us know if you're, that you're here, if you're here for the first time. One of the boxes on the connect card is a box that says, I'd like to have lunch with the pastor. So my name is Dave, and I'm the campus pastor here at our World Golf Village campus. And over the past few weeks, I've had lunch with several of our guests, and it's been super fun just talking to them about Jesus and hearing their story. And so if you're new or, or you've been coming and you'd like to get to know me a little bit and let me get to know you, I'd love to have lunch with you. So you could mark that on your card. And listen, when you're done this morning, you can leave those cards in the boxes in the back as you leave. That'd be amazing. So today's a great day. Chris and Karen Schultz are coming to join the church. So I invite them to come on up. All right. So good news, fam. This is Karen and Chris, and uh, they've just moved into the area. They live here uh, in World Golf Village, and, and they've been coming to Good News, and they've uh, shared their faith with me, and, and they come today to profess their faith and to join Good News. So let's, uh, let me ask you these questions. Do you acknowledge yourselves to be sinners in the sight of God, justly deserving His wrath and hopeless without His mercy? And do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners? And do you trust him alone for salvation as he's offered in the gospel? And do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will seek to live as followers of Christ should? And do you promise to support the church and its worship and work to the best of your ability? And do you submit yourselves to the government and discipline of the church and promise to promote its purity and peace? Yeah. Great. So let me pray for you all. Jesus, thanks so much for Chris and Karen. Thank you for the story that you've brought into their life. Thank you for their sons, uh, Ransom and, and Jackson. And I pray for them that, that they would uh, know you and follow you all the days of their life. I pray... Um, for Chris and Karen, that you would continue to show them those unique gifts and abilities you've blessed them with so that they might join with us in making disciples together here in St. John's County and around the world. And Lord, I thank you for bringing them here to Good News Church, and I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Karen, thank you. Chris, thank you. Hey, make sure you speak to them after the service and, and introduce yourself, get to know them, and we're so grateful to have them uh, join Good News. So the passage that I'd like to call your attention to this morning is in Colossians chapter 3. We're going to look at two verses from Colossians uh, 3, verses 12 and, and 13. 
but these aren't the only verses we're going to be looking at. This week, I've been looking at so many passages throughout the Old Testament, but particularly in the life of Jesus. And we're going to look at some of those stories of Jesus. And what I'm praying for all of us is that we would be struck by the love of God, His compassion toward us, and that you would leave here this morning believing that God is, God is compassionate towards you in Jesus. So let me read verses 12 and 13 of Colossians 3. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Let's pray. Jesus, help us. Help us to experience your compassion this morning. Help us to express your compassion to a watching world. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would help all who hear and help the one who speaks to put on compassion even as we listen and even as I share. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So my uh, daughter uh, and, and her husband have just recently moved to Louisiana and we're going to see them in a few weeks. And, and one of the things that my son-in-law keeps promising me is that we're going to go out to eat. And he's going to introduce me to crawfish. And I can't help but when I think about crawfish, I, can, I think about this book, Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, by Dr. Paul Brand. And Dr. Brand, for a time, lived in Louisiana, and he, he became familiar with crawfish. And in his book, Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, he, he writes this. A, a crawfish has an exoskeleton. Its muscles work against the carapace surrounding it. And that protective shell helps the crawfish survive in a ruthless world. Nevertheless, an exoskeleton presents certain disadvantages as well. A dog or cat or human, uh, human being, feels soft, warm, responsive. But if you shake hands with a crawfish, you'll feel inflexibility, coldness, and probably pain. And then he says this. As I review the history of the Christian church, it's, at times, I see a basic in misunderstanding of the place of the skeleton in the body. Some believers wear their skeletons on the outside, and their dogma stands out as obtrusively as does a crawfish's shell. Too many of us have started to wear our skeletons of truth on the outside. And it makes it really hard for people to hug us. 
it makes it really hard for, for people to meet Jesus through us. And that's why, having exalted Jesus Christ as the king forevermore in the first two chapters of the book of Colossians, Paul, when he turns in Colossians 3 to what it looks like for the church to submit to Jesus Christ, in, one, in his first list of the virtues of the Christ, Christian, a follower of Jesus, he says, put on a heart of compassion. You know anyone in our world who, who could use some compassion? I mean, have you observed in the world around us just how angry it seems everyone is with one another? And how about in your neighborhood? I mean, have you been to an HOA meeting lately? It's so easy for us to put on our exoskeleton, to defend ourselves against other people, to make it hard for people to approach us. Listen, how about in your home? Listen, are you ready to set aside your list of grievances and complaints against your spouse? Are you ready to, to set aside your encyclopedia of hurts and clothe yourself with compassion toward the other? How do we get there? How do we put on a heart of compassion? Well, to get there, to put on a heart of compassion, we're going to learn three things this morning. What is it? What is compassion? When we talk about compassion, we might give to an organization called Compassion. But what is it? What is compassion? And then who needs it? Who needs compassion? And then how do we put it on? How do we put it on? So what is it? Who needs it? And how do we put it on? So what is compassion? Well, compassion is an emotional response to the needs of others that moves us to action. An emotional response to the needs of others that moves us to take action, to do something. Now, did you know, this, this is amazing. Do you know who the first character in the Bible who's said to be compassionate is? The very first time the word is used, it's used not to refer to man, but to refer to God. In Genesis chapter 19, the story of Lot being rescued from wicked Sodom, it says, starting in verse 15 of chapter 19 of Genesis, when morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. So the men seized his hand, and the hand of his wife, and the hands of his two daughters, for the compassion of the Lord was upon him. And they brought him out and put him outside the city. The very first person in the Bible to be said to be compassionate is God. 
God's disclosure of himself in Scripture is that he is a compassionate God. Compassion isn't a surface feeling with God. It goes all the way down. It goes all the way in. If you could see all the way through him, you would see compassion. Every layer, as you keep peeling back, who is God? Who is God? At every layer, you'd find compassion. In Genesis 34, when God reveals himself to Moses, his self-disclosure is this. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate. God's self-disclosure of himself, when he speaks of himself, his first characteristic that he reveals to Moses isn't his justice, but his compassion. His desire to save, his desire to love, his desire to reconcile. And so Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, God the Son, when he spoke of his Father, when when he told the story of the parable of the lost sons, to tell a story that would help people understand who God really is, you proud religious people, who were prone to think that God loves good boys and girls, when Jesus wants to tell a story that shows that God's compassion goes all the way down and all the way through, that he doesn't just love good boys and girls, he loves prodigals. He loves rebels. He tells the story of the prodigal son and the character of the father is God in the story of the prodigal son. And in Luke 15, Jesus tells a story on his dad. And this is what he says about his father. The prodigal got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Did you hear that? While he was still a long way off, the father saw him. Compassion begins by looking at people. That God has seen you. He's looked at you. And if you caught eyes with him, the expression on his face would be one of compassion. That he ran. He saw him. He felt compassion for him. God looks, he feels, he feels compassion towards us, and he's moved to action. He does something. In the case of the prodigal, he goes running. He shames himself so that the son could be honored. 
he lets the dirty, nasty prodigal son hug him. And so Rembrandt, when he painted the story of the prodigal son, he pictures the son embraced in the love of the father. You have room. You have room in your theology for that? Do you have room in your life for a heavenly father who is holy, 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 but who is willing to embrace you in his love? Do you have room in your life for a God like that? If, if you got to know a God like that, you might be willing to just give up a little bit of your exoskeleton. Just peel back a little bit. Because you know the only time a crawfish grows is when it throws off its skeleton and, and is left only with its exposed flesh. And then that flesh can double in size. It can double in size before it then recovers its protective shell. Are you willing to let go of your protective shell? And let the love and compassion of your heavenly Father be real. Now, how do we know? How do we know that God has looked at us and felt compassion for us and has done something for us? Well, because we know Jesus. We know Jesus, and, and Jesus is the compassion of God looking upon his lost creatures and do, feeling deep compassion and doing something for us. B.B. Warfield, who was a professor at, at Princeton Seminary, when, when Princeton Seminary believed the Bible and believed the gospel, B.B. Uh, Warfield uh, says this, the emotion which we should naturally expect to find most frequently attributed to that Jesus whose whole life was a mission of mercy, whose ministry was so marked by deeds of beneficence that it was summed up in the memory of his followers as going through the land doing good, is no doubt compassion. In point of fact, this, compassion, Warfield says, this is the emotion which is most frequently attributed to him. That just like the father in the story of the prodigal son who looks and feels and does Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is the compassion of the father. Look at Mark chapter 1. In Mark chapter 1, we find Jesus. And Jesus, uh, it says in Mark 1.40, a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and, and falling on his knees before him and saying, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. 
Immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. Jesus saw. He was moved with compassion. And he reached out his hand, and he touched him. And the man was cleansed. See, the compassion of God and the compassion of Jesus Christ is seen not in his love and compassion towards the people who have it all together, but people who need him to the hungry, to the leper, to the blind, to the outcast, to the rejected, to the vulnerable, to the diseased, to the lost. Those are the ones who receive the compassion of Jesus. So what is compassion? Compassion is the emotion that moves us to action. And who needs it? We all need it. Because we're all the leper. We're all the blind. We're all the hungry. We're all the outcast. We're all the lost. And the only thing that you can do to disqualify yourself from the compassion of God is to believe you're good enough to receive it. But if you know, if you know how much you need compassion, if you know how much you need Jesus, then your heavenly Father And Jesus Christ, his son, is ready and quick to run and embrace you. He sees your need before you do. And he's moved towards you, not away from you. Jesus Christ came not for the people who had it all together, but to the people who needed him. I love the way Jesus says it in in, uh, calling Matthew the tax collector. Just, you know, another one of those guys that was hated. You know, another one of the friends of Jesus. The well-connected ones who had it all together like Matthew the tax collector who everybody in town hated his guts. Jesus said, follow me, and he did. And then he threw a party for Jesus and all his sinful friends showed up. And the religious people, the people who thought they had it all together, they were mad. And this, they said, this man hangs out with sinners and he eats with them. And this is what Jesus says in the Phillips translation. Jesus was in the house sitting at the dinner table and a good many tax collectors and other disreputable people came on the scene and joined him and his disciples The Pharisees noticed this and said to the disciples, Why does your master have his meals with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus heard this and replied, It's not the fit and the flourishing who need the doctor, but those who are ill. Suppose you go away and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. In any case, I did not come to invite the righteous, but the sinners. It's not the fit 
and the flourishing. So let your guts out. The only thing you need is need. The only thing you need is need. Come to Jesus with an empty hand and receive from him. Not stern judgment and condemnation, but love, compassion. He came to call not the righteous, but sinners to himself. So who needs compassion? We all do. We all need compassion. How do we get it? How do we get it? We get it by inviting Jesus in, by responding to his compassion, by saying, yes, Jesus, I finally found in you someone who will look at me and really see me, who will feel for me, and who will do something for me. Romans 5, verse 6. While we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Who needs compassion? The helpless need compassion. Who needs compassion? The ungodly needs compassion. You see, the bad news of the gospel is that we've all sinned. We're all helpless. We're all far from God. We're all needy. We're all the leper, the hungry, the blind, the lame, the diseased. But God has seen us in our helpless condition, and He, in His grace, His compassion, has sent His Son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel, it's not that God loves good boys and girls. It's that God helps the helpless. The good news of the gospel is that God the Son took on our humanity and he lived the life that we should have lived. He secured for you and me a record of righteousness. And in his final work of obedience... For you and me, for our salvation, Jesus Christ died on a cross. God took all of our sin and he put it on Jesus and he punished Jesus in our place. And he says, if you will turn from your sin and trust in Jesus Christ, I'll forgive you all your sins. But that record of righteousness, that record of obedience that Jesus Christ built up, I'll credit that to your account. I'll give you his righteousness. I'll secure what you need for eternal life, the forgiveness of sins and a new status, a new record. And then I'll welcome you in to my forever family. I'll adopt you as my son, my daughter. I'll give you the status of a son. I'll clothe you. I'll embrace you. With all of your faults and all of your failures, you come. You come. Come home. That's what repentance is. It's coming home to our Father in heaven and letting him love us. That's what faith is. It's trusting that Jesus Christ has done everything necessary to bring us home. Has there ever been a time in your life where you've turned from your sin and trusted in Christ? If, if not, 
won't you believe? Won't you admit that I'm the person who needs the compassion of God? I'm the leper. I'm the hungry one. I'm the blind one. I need your compassion, Father. And won't you believe that, that Christ is the compassion of God expressed towards you, that, that he lived and died and rose again for you? And won't you commit to him as Savior and Lord and invite him into your life? His compassion towards you is the one thing that has the power to change your hard heart. And that's how we begin to put on compassion when we invite Jesus in. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. So when we invite Jesus in to the, to the center of our life, then we begin to follow him as Savior and Lord. And when we follow Jesus... When we follow Jesus throughout his life in the Gospels, when we take up the Gospels of Jesus and we follow him, we see him and we learn from him to put on compassion. We go on a walk with Jesus. We follow Jesus to a city called Nain in Luke chapter 7. We come to a city called Nain with Jesus he went to a city called Nain, and his disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large crowd. Now as he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a sizable crowd from the city was with her. Now Jesus and his disciples are coming into town. There's a large crowd with Jesus. There's a large crowd coming out of town with this woman carrying her dead son. And Luke tells us that she was a widow. So she's lost her husband, and now she's lost her son. In other words, she's lost everything. How do you think God responds to people who are out and out, down and out, helpless, hopeless, we know when the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her and said to her, do not weep. Now, I don't know how many funerals you've been to, but here's the tip. When you go to a funeral, don't go up to the person closest to the dead and say, don't cry unless you're Jesus and you're about to do something about it. Because the words do not weep make no sense unless what lies behind them is a deep compassion, willing and able to do something for her need. What does he do? He came up and touched the coffin. And the bearers came to a halt, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. 
Jesus Christ raises this boy, restores him to his mother, and recovers for her all her hope, all her joy, all her loves, and it's a picture of what Jesus will do for anyone who puts their trust in him. That through Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ was willing to die in our place but rose again, he promises that one day everything sad will come untrue. He'll return, establish a new heaven and new earth, and establish even you with a sinless body on a sinless earth with him forever. That everything sad is going to come untrue in an instant at his return. And because of that, he says in 1 Thessalonians 4, comfort one another with the hope that we have in Jesus. Now, we follow along with Jesus. We walk with Jesus. We're following Jesus, and we see his compassion towards this woman. And then in, in Matthew 9, after, after Jesus has dinner at, at Matthew's house, and he rebukes the unbelief of the Pharisees and says, you guys need to cheer up. You're a lot worse than you think. He goes on, and, and later in Matthew chapter 9, he says, seeing the people... He felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Do you see what's happening? Jesus is seeing the needs of the world, knowing that he would go to the cross, rise from the dead, and he would then send his disciples, the church, out into the world. He pictures that in his life with the disciples, and he says, you have authority in my name to go and put on compassion towards the world. You have the authority to do what I do. You can put on a heart of compassion. Follow me. Experience my compassion towards you and then put on compassion and express that, camp, that compassion to a lost and hurting world. And so that's our action step, is to put on a heart of compassion. To put on a heart of compassion. So every day, this week, my prayer for you is that you would invite the compassionate one in. Invite the compassionate one into your living room or, or onto your patio or, or to your kitchen table with you. Invite the compassionate one in and open up the word of God and, and meet with Jesus. Invite him in. Let his compassion towards you satisfy your heart. Don't be satisfied by just saying, Jesus, you're compassionate. No, say, Jesus, 
Show me the love of the Father. Help me experience your love. Fill me with your Holy Spirit that I might know the love of God for me as an adopted son or daughter. Invite him in. Invite him in. Let the compassionate one be compassionate towards you. And then follow the compassionate one out into the world. Henry Nouwen writes this, Compassion asks us to go where it hurts, to enter into the places of pain, to share in brokenness, fear, confusion, and anguish. Compassion challenges us to cry out with those in misery, to mourn with those who are lonely, to weep with those in tears. Compassion requires us to be weak with the weak, vulnerable with the vulnerable, and powerless with the powerless. Compassion means full immersion in the condition of being human. So follow the compassionate one into the world. Listen, when you get it, when you get it right, and people say, you're so compassionate, say, no, but I know the compassionate one. I know the compassionate one. They say, who's that? They say, didn't say, his name's Jesus. And listen, when you get it wrong, when you go through the stoplight and, and you don't look with compassion on the people in need all around you, when you get it wrong, what a great opportunity to run back to the compassionate one and say, oh, Jesus, compassionate one, I blew it again. And he's not there saying, oh, it's okay, you'll get it right next time. No, he's saying, I know. I, I know you, you got it wrong again. I still love you. I'm still for you. I'm still with you. Isaac, uh, John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, at the end of his life, John Newton said, I am a great sinner, and I have a great Savior. Now listen, when you get compassion right this week, point to your Savior. And when you get compassion wrong this week, you run back to your Savior. He's the compassionate one. And you know what he'll say? When you go running back to him, you know what the compassionate one will say to you? You're my chosen one. You're my holy one. Set apart for me. You're my beloved. Let's pray. Jesus, help us experience, even now, your compassion towards us. Holy Spirit, come and, and flood hard hearts. Peel back the hard exteriors of, of our hearts that we've allowed to grow over. We live in a hard world. We've been hurt. Peel them back. Peel back the exoskeleton and, and penetrate hard hearts with the love of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, make the compassion of Jesus real to every heart here. 
Make the love of the Father real to every heart here. And any who are here this morning or watching online and you've never received and invited the compassionate one into the center of your life, won't you now? Won't you admit to him, Jesus, I admit that I've sinned against you in many ways and I'm sorry. I'm helpless. I'm the ungodly that Romans 5, 6 was referring to. Jesus, I believe that you died in my place. You were punished as my substitute. And you rose from the dead. Come into my life as Savior and Lord. And help me become the person you want me to be. And Jesus, as an overflow of, of all that we've experienced of your compassion, let us follow you into a hurting world to show, to show a hurting world that there is a God compassionate and gracious, abounding in loving kindness, keeping faithfulness to a thousand generations. For I pray in Jesus' name.